Welcome to another episode of your friendly neighborhood film cast. I am your host, Jack, and with me is returning guest, Audrey. Hello, Jack. I'm glad to be back. I am glad to have you back, and I am really looking forward to the discussion we're about to have on the 2011 film, Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and described by IMDb as... A mysterious Hollywood stuntman and mechanic moonlights as a getaway driver and finds himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor. That's all you get. That's a fair summary. Yeah, that's a fair summary. It sounds really similar to um, Baby Driver, honestly, which I wasn't really thinking about, but we talked about that recently, so... Isn't it funny that we've had two Richard Curtis movies... Two movies with Lily James, and now two Getaway Driver movies with good soundtracks. We'll just have to keep um, doing them in pairs, you know, themed pairs the whole time. Yes, that is a good goal to have. (laughs) So I am curious what your background is with this movie, because I think mine kind of weaves into yours in a way, and I will explain that momentarily. I think so. Um, So I saw this... Gosh, I mean, I I saw it when it came out, I guess, because I definitely saw it in theaters. And I was in um, a film class at the time in college, and um, I ended up bringing it up in class, like, right after I'd seen it, just as a movie where I don't think I liked it, but I can't stop thinking about it. Like, that's what I told the professor, is I was just like, I there were mm-hmm. aspects of it, like, in the technical parts of it were really beautiful, but I don't know if I liked it. But it's the only movie I can think about. And it's been like this for weeks, you know? Yeah, this was a movie that I had heard good things about, but very vague things for quite a few years after it was released. And my memory is a bit fuzzy because this happened within just a couple of weeks. So I can't remember if I heard you talk about it first or if I rented it from our university's library first. But one or the other happened in really close succession and so they're kind of just like melting together in my brain but I'd remember hearing you talk about it yep (laughs) and I saw it in the college library where they have that huge dvd collection which so happy that that exists I know and yes I miss it dearly (laughs) and I'd rented it and it was at a particular time in my life where I just had a lot of anxiety about a lot of different things and I started watching this and I just knew that something was going to happen and I just could not emotionally handle that anxiety at the time so I only watched maybe the first 40 minutes or so and then figured okay nothing too bad has happened yet I'm just gonna call it a night and I'll revisit this eventually and for years I could not get those songs, Night Call by Kavinsky and um, A Real Hero by Electric Youth. I could not get those songs out of my head. They were in constant rotation on Spotify playlists, even though I had never seen like the following, I don't know, 50 minutes of the movie, however long it is total. So uh, when it was (laughs) on Netflix in early 2020, you know, 
when I had okay anxiety before I was about to be uh really just smack dab down. With, yes. <laughs> with a lot of other stuff, uh I did finally get around to watching the full thing several years later. Good. That's okay. It definitely um it definitely has the feel of the movie in the first about half, I would say, where you're holding your breath because it doesn't seem like the type of movie where it's going to let this much good stuff happen. And it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are your overall spoiler-free thoughts on this, if you have many more beyond what we discussed? Not a whole lot to say, I think. Just like I said, the appreciation for the lighting in this one. Um, it's something Nicholas mm-hmm. Winding Refn does really well in all of his films. Um, I don't know if you saw Neon Demon. I explicitly watched that one for the lighting because I had read the synopsis ahead of time. And I was like, this is not a good writing. Like, this is not a good movie. But I wanted to see the lighting because it was just really beautiful. And so this movie was definitely one where... I was at the point in my film career where like technically I was really growing into an appreciation of lighting and sound and so um, I was really interested in seeing this one. I also love the iconic jacket that the driver wears. It's very good. It's just very, very good and I'm not biased at all because I'm a Scorpio. But um, (laughs) other than that, I know we talked about it a little bit before we hopped on this call, but the the cast in this movie, I was revisiting the synopsis because I... Did not rewatch this in anticipation of us talking about it because it is still that vivid in my memory. <laughs> um, and I didn't really think that I could stomach a rewatch. But I did read the synopsis again just to freshen up on it. And there were actors in this movie that I did not remember being in this movie. Like I remembered their characters, just didn't remember that that was the actor in it. So um, like Brian Cranston playing um, the driver's friend mm-hmm. and like mechanic character, right? And... Um, Ron Perlman playing one of the antagonists was like really was not prepared for that like just did not remember that those were the people playing those roles yeah this has a really impressive cast and I will say that all of the performances are good I just definitely wanted more out of everyone I feel like everything was very um muted is how I would say and I think it was a really Mm -hmm. good this is a film that I really appreciated for the idea that the storytelling doesn't have to happen in the dialogue like the things don't have to be explicit for the story to be mm-hmm. good and for the story to come across well and I think that this movie did that really well but there definitely were parts in the movie where everyone was feeling so restrained despite what was going on around them and yeah. I just was like wanting to scream like oh my gosh just do something just say something like that and I, I think that that might be part of why I haven't been able to like stop thinking about this movie is because of that restraint it it, like it feels like there's stuff that's unsaid and I think that like I said the director he just did a really good job with like using that to his advantage and the writers did a great job with that as well yeah from a technical perspective this movie is my jam I love the synthwave soundtrack I love the neon aesthetic I love the lighting like you mentioned I love the opening credits sequence I will say I watched that on Mm -hmm. YouTube probably once every uh, nine weeks or so. I just kind of pull that up and watch that little sequence because I I really enjoy it a lot. But if I did rewatch this, it would be like my initial viewing where it is just first 40 minutes. Yep. 
that's really where you're in like okay maybe this is gonna be pleasant maybe i i misjudged this movie like uh-huh <laughs> which uh once we dive into spoiler territory i will say this reminded me of another film which people have probably already guessed by now but okay. uh would you like to go into spoilers let's dive right in let's do it okay we are taking the elevator up to the spoiler level and uh much like Baby Driver, this movie takes a much darker, sinister turn as it continues. Yes. What was the point for you? Because I know that there's like an act of violence that happens before the scene that like was really the turning point for me. Uh-huh. But like the whole premise, right, is the driver... He's a getaway driver at night in his free time. He doesn't carry a gun. He tells people, if you're not out in five minutes, I'm gone. And, like, that's his policy. So he's never in on, like, the dirty work part of it until he is. And Mm -hmm. he is just, like, blindingly violent when that comes around. And so, like, I know... So I'll just I'll just be explicit here. So I'm going to uh-huh. say for people, content warning, we're about to talk about a lot of violence because that's what happens in this movie um, after like the first 40 minutes. So I know there's the scene where he like hammers the guy's hand and that that is like the first act of violence. But that wasn't the point of the movie where I went. <gasps> it was the elevator scene where he is with Irene and he kisses her and then he stomps a guy's head in. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, that's what this movie is. Oh, my God. You know, even though that wasn't like the first act of violence that he did. Okay, yeah, I for me, it was even earlier on. So the first act of violence that I remember a scene that felt kind of like it could be a turning point is when Oscar Isaac's character is killed, which yeah standard is gunned down yeah yeah and and that seemed really bad like it seems like the turning point for the driver but it's not something that he does and i think that that's why it didn't hit like it still impacted me because i guess we should like give a little context here so the driver is played by ryan gosling he befriends uh this woman irene who lives in his apartment complex with her son benatio um, Irene is played by Carrie Mulligan very mm-hmm. well and they kind of have like a romantic entanglement her husband's in jail her husband is Oscar Isaac Standard is his character name and then Standard gets released from jail and he like clearly is remorseful and regrets getting put in jail and he even though he seems to sense that maybe his wife has a thing with the driver is like very welcoming and friendly to the driver and so then the driver agrees to do a job for Standard because the people that protected him in jail are basically blackmailing him and threatening his wife and child. And since the driver has a relationship mm-hmm. with the wife and child, um, he's like, okay, fine, I'll be your driver for this. So when Standard comes out from the job, he literally gets gunned down. So I do agree that in general, that is the turning point. It just wasn't like, for some reason, it just wasn't the point where my mind went, okay, so this movie isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. You know, like that one was still like, it felt like they're going to get out of this. Like it's going to, he's going to figure something out, you know, like I still had that hope, like naive, you know. I get that. No, I, I agree. That wasn't like, that should have been the turning point for me, but it wasn't either. It was the following scene where I forget Christina Hendricks name, her character. Blanche, I think. Blanche. Okay. It's the scene where uh driver just blatantly smacks her across the face and was not expecting that, especially since up until that point, yeah. we've only seen him in the context of a 
I guess like how he relates to women being with Irene having a very consensual, gentle, nice relationship. You don't see the capacity for that violence. And it's like compounded by the fact that he legitimately is like so careful and caring towards this kid too. And so it just really, you're right, that was very abrupt. That was very abrupt. Yeah, that was the turning point for me, but... Oh, man. Yeah, by the time that we get to the hammer scene and then the elevator scene, like, how much more are we going to have to go through? Yeah, I think the elevator scene was when I was like, oh, gosh, why did I choose to watch this in theaters? And maybe that's why that sticks with me. But -hmm. it was just like everything prior to that, even when he, you know, when he slapped Blanche and stuff, to me, I was just like, okay, so he's desperate. Like, and he's figured out that she's in on it. Like, and that... It was a setup and that now standard, this guy that he actually legitimately was friends with and whose wife he loves is like, is dead for no good reason. Like Mm -hmm. clearly was ready to set himself on a different track and not end up in jail again. And so, so for me, I was definitely like running this like, like this, this track of it's justified. He's, you know, he's doing what he has to do. He's going to figure this out. He's going to save Irene and Benicio. It's going to be fine. But then the elevator thing happened and I just went, okay, so he's going to die, right? Like, he, there's no coming back from this. Like, that is just an amount of brutality that there is no coming back to, from this. And I think that in part that's like that was a reaction that I shared with Irene because she's definitely mm-hmm. really horrified to see this side of him. And yeah, so that was just like the turning point for me being like, oh, okay, so point of no return here. This is where we're at. Yeah. Oh, goodness. And um, talking about Oscar Isaac and the character Standard, seeing this movie post Ex Machina, post Star Wars The Force Awakens, I knew that he wasn't as big of an actor at this time, but I definitely expected him to have a larger role. Like, I couldn't believe that his characters talked about a lot, that we were finally introduced to him, and then three scenes later, he's killed. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like less than 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. And I would say that's including like references to him when he's not there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it just feels very short for someone who ended up being a very, very big star, I feel like. Yeah. And even um, characters like Brian Cranston and I almost said Ron Funches. That's a very different person. (laughs) Ron Perlman. (laughs) Um, Like they have a great presence. And they're really good in the scenes that they're in, but I just expected all of these really impressive actors to be in more scenes than what they had. Yeah, I think that that's maybe part of the, you know, we're talking about like the restrained, um, like suppressedness of Mm -hmm. this film is that like, we really are so tight in on the driver exclusively that we're only seeing these other people like through his interactions with them. And so you get these really impactful moments because of it. But it's like, we're, I don't know. So so similar to Baby Driver, like we're just kind of stuck in the driver's head. And he seems to be kind of an emotionless, like almost sociopathically emotionless person until he encounters Irene and Benicio. And then he does that like 180, right? Because it's like the one thing that he cares about is being threatened. And so like, yeah, so his encounters with other people are very intense, but they're also super brief. Yeah. Something that I found interesting about this movie was, um, like, in terms of the pacing, I think that some of the shots lingered on for a little bit too long. 
almost to the point where they became comical. Like, there's that scene. I really do like the scene of um, Driver where he's wearing the stuntman mask and he walks up to the pizza place and he's just, like, staring through the window at the mobsters. And it's so Mm -hmm. creepy and chilly. But then it lingers for so long that it just becomes comical. Like, the first time that I watched it, I was like, okay, this is cool. Ooh, this is creepy. He's still there? Like, it just did a 180 (laughs) because the scene just lasted for so long. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, like, tangent. I don't know if it's just the type of movie that, like, Ryan Gosling stars in, but the other movie that I feel is really egregiously guilty of that is Blade Runner 2049. I thought the Uh, same thing earlier. I was like, I don't know if it's just one of those things where, like, it's like a it's a male director who wants to make something that's impactful and has a message and it's maybe a little bit pretentious art housey like in style and the shots are just like five ten seconds too long like every fifth or sixth shot is just a little just a little too long but I was like Dennis Villeneuve also did that in Blade Runner 2049 I was like sir you like you could have cut a half hour out of this uh-huh. movie just by cutting down some of those shots yes like perfect example the scene that I thought of probably 15 minutes before we hopped on and started doing this discussion when I was reading through my notes is um in Blade Runner 2049 where Ryan Gosling is having that conversation with Robin Wright and I think it's in his apartment and she just says like something in response to what he says and just stares at him and she keeps And they staring. hang on the shot so long. Yeah. Like, you think that the screen is frozen or something. It lingers that long. Yes. I agree. And and the part of that movie that really, I was like, okay, come on. Like, let's pick it up. Is like, when the, in that, obviously, this is not the movie we're talking about, so I'll try to keep it spoiler free. Um, but, like, when they're in, like, the desert scenes like the casino scenes and it's like all red cast and stuff there were a couple of like the intro oh, shots yeah. to that where mm-hmm. i was like are we gonna go in the building like are, are we just gonna keep looking at this or are we gonna go in there you know <laughs> i was like Whoa, this is beautiful but i i didn't really need like eight straight minutes of it <laughs> i'm so glad that you thought the exact same thing <laughs> we're on the same wavelength you know <laughs> we really are <laughs> Something that I found really interesting doing some research on this movie is that it was based on a novel, and the novel was told in a non-linear narrative, and I almost wonder if that would have made the movie better, or if it would have made it almost too incoherent Hmm. just because so much of the story isn't told to us, it's just shown to shown to us. I would have liked to see a different cut and see how that would have changed the pacing of the movie yeah I don't know I, I've never really thought about that and I didn't know that it was um based on a non-linear novel but like I think the reason that the movie has stuck with me so much is that I I spend those first 40 minutes in relative comfort and then we like just hit the gas and not in a good way and so I don't know mm-hmm. if it would have worked as well for me if it had been juxtaposed differently. Like if we were getting some of those really violent moments early on, I don't know if it would have had the same impact. And I certainly don't think that Standard's death and like his relationship to Driver would have had the same impact. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. That is true. Now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, of course, that's the obvious answer. But (laughs) that's just where I feel like, I mean, Nicholas Winding Refn clearly wanted to make an impact with this Mm -hmm. movie and he did. I just don't think it would have hit me as hard if it weren't for the 
I don't even want to call it shock factor. Like it is a little bit of shock factor because it was pretty peaceful Mm -hmm. up to that point, despite his profession. But despite the aspect of it that is shock factor, there is an aspect of it that's just like, like we've passed the point of no return. And that point wouldn't have been significant if it had been told in a different order, I think. That is a very, very good point. Well, is there anything else that you would like to touch on? Because those are most of the notes that I had. The only thing I have left is the ending, which is the other reason that I could never stop thinking about this movie is because you have just like the back to back shots of Irene knocking on the driver's door and we the audience know that he's been fatally wounded presumably because he's been stabbed in the abdomen which is not really a wound Mm -hmm. that you recover from and she's knocking on his door like he might answer she knows standards dead she knows that he was planning on getting things fixed so he and her and Benicio could run away right get away from all of it and it's unanswered and then Mm -hmm. we just cut to him and he's just driving around while he bleeds out and I'm like so that's it, huh? Like, that's it. Even though I knew that he had, like, hit that point and I didn't think that there was going to be a good ending for him, there was still this part of me that was just like, maybe, but maybe, you know? And then, no, absolutely not. Like, he's dead at the end. This is not an Inception type, type ending where you decide what you think. This is an ending where he is bleeding out in his car. Irene is still waiting for him. Mm-hmm. We don't know if she and Benicio are going to be safe. He's definitely not going to be safe. So, no, definitely um, different from Baby Driver. Yes. <laughs> Baby Driver was like, you decide, you know, and also, Baby's not dead. Like, just in prison, just in prison. It's fine. A much different character arc for Baby as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you don't get the sense at any point that the driver regrets anything that he's done at all. Like, no. his his nope. regret is not getting Irene out, basically. Like, not getting Irene and Benicio to safety before all of this happened. And that's it. And that's a stretch. Like, that's just me projecting on him. But he, we are not given to believe that he cares. Like, he just seems resigned at the end. Oof. Yeah. This was uh, quite a movie. But I'm glad that I finally <laughs> did watch it in its entirety. And uh, it's certainly worth watching yeah. for the technical aspects i i would say it's worth watching for the writing as well because like i said it i i really enjoy movies that take the less is more approach um i like having mm-hmm. the subtext versus the text and and to like movies are a visual medium so less dialogue sometimes works really well for me in that context so i like it a lot because of that I just don't like the context, like the context uh, or the content of the movie is like, there's a reason that I'm like, I still don't know if I like this movie. And it's, you know, it's been like 10 years and it's because it's like, it's just a very brutal, very desolate movie at the end. And that is like, it just had me feeling some kind of way. And I don't know if that was a good way. So but I'm like, I am super glad that I watched it. And it's something that definitely improved my skill as a writer um, in terms of using dramatic irony and dramatic tension um, and knowing when like a good camera shot can take the place of like six lines of dialogue. Yeah, probably was released in the perfect time for you if you were a college student while this came out. Yes, it was it was like my second year of college, so it was early in my 
um, in my film studies. And it definitely helped a lot inform the things that I was writing later. Nice. I'm curious, have you seen, because I don't feel like this was advertised a lot when it was released, it just kind of was thrown out onto Amazon Prime. Have you seen the Nicholas Winding Refn show, Too Old to Die Young? No, I haven't. I don't think I've even heard of that. Did he also do uh, The Place Beyond the Pines? Was that him? Or is that just Ryan Gosling? Mm, I think that one was just Ryan Gosling but I'm gonna have to do some research now it might have been him I don't I'm not sure I don't remember what's the show like I haven't watched a full episode yet because the first episode is like 90 minutes long so that's a movie in and of itself it is pretty much um I think I just got to the first 20 or 30 minutes and it was like late Saturday night so I was already tired and it wasn't moving very quickly so I had a hard time staying awake to watch it but it's well shot so far like you would expect from him so you've got that going well that's good I'll have to check it out because I definitely was not aware of that yeah I'll probably watch a little bit more just to see where this goes I don't even really know what the premise of it is I just figured I'd check it out I mean it sounds definitely great he's got a great visual eye as a director so his stuff is always really beautiful to look at if nothing else yes I am definitely gonna have to watch the neon demon it's on my watch list so I just know that the plot is very stupid it is very stupid and I don't think that the writing in that compares to drive like drive at all like I all the stuff that I'm saying about how less is more in drive not true in the neon demon it's very bad it's just so pretty that's good to know well Audrey have you watched any good movies or tv shows lately good is a relative word but um so I actually have been watching a show that I've really been enjoying it's called dead to me um it has Mm. oh my gosh I'm gonna forget everyone's names Christina Applegate and Lena Cardellini in it and um it had been on my list for a while it's getting one more season and the director slash writer who's a woman whose name I'm not remembering right now um explicitly was like yeah I want to do this in three seasons I really love the way that Fleabag told it like a concise story in two seasons and that's it and like that's what we're doing we're not going to drag this out and I was like oh, Perfect. great so my sister and I started watching it and it's very like Perfect. very dark humor and um And that's not always my jam, but I've really been enjoying it. So also just Linda Carlini is like one of my favorite actresses. I love her so much and I feel that she doesn't get a whole lot of recognition. Um, Yes. So definitely watch this. Her performance in this is so good. But movies, good, good, quote unquote. Um, I watched Godzilla King of the Monsters. It was bad. I'm I'm gearing up for Godzilla vs. Kong as we have talked about in the past. I know that when I talked about Skull Island, Kong Skull Island, I was like, this wasn't a great movie. But the difference between Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of the Monsters is that I liked Kong Skull Island. <laughs> and it it was beautiful to look at. And it didn't oh, really boy. care about telling any stories about the people in the movie. It was just like, look at all these freaking cool monsters. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm here for. Godzilla King of the Monsters did the same thing that Godzilla 2014 did, and so I disliked it for pretty much the same reason, which is to say it was a family drama set against the backdrop of a monster. 
and why why i didn't care none of it like nobody was likable the dialogue was so bad that aaron and i so my husband and i we were watching it we literally just like looked at each other several times like did you hear that like was that a real thing that they wrote in this movie and so like the the monster stuff in it very good but i would say that the monster stuff in it was like not a significant portion of the movie compared to the family drama. So um, also similar to Godzilla 2014, like 90% of the movie took place in the rain for some reason. Uh, no real good there. Like mm. Mothra, my girl was in it and I love her and she's my favorite, like uh, um, like Godzilla universe monster. And, and she was great. Um, King Ghidorah was very cool. And the other monster designs were all very cool. And I'm still looking forward to Godzilla vs. Kong, but the movie was bad. Oh my goodness. I'm just going to assume <laughs> that when we record our Godzilla vs. Kong episode, which is going to be a thing, listeners, we're going to be recording an episode on that. Yes. I don't think I will watch Kong Skull Island or Godzilla King of the Monsters beforehand because I want to have the perspective of... I do, I kind of enjoy listening to stuff where you get one person who has more of a background with it and a person who has seen nothing leading up to it. So I'm going to be that person in this scenario. Sounds great. Sounds great. It's perfect. You can go in fresh. I don't super think that Godzilla vs. Kong is going to tie in a whole lot to the previous movies in the Godzilla verse. Mm -hmm. um there was like one after credit scene in king of the monsters where i was like okay i could see this like leading in but ultimately the way the movies have all been set up is that like the credit sequences themselves have more references to what the next movie is going to be than the movie does ever um so they're very loosely connected i would say and godzilla versus kong will be a lot more obviously connected but you definitely don't need to have seen the past the other ones to to get it that's good i guess i did see Godzilla the 2014 one but I kind of got the vibe that I forgot that this was gonna be in the same yeah, universe exactly that. Like, I thought that, that was a standalone I didn't realize that and I'm like oh I guess that kind of is connected but I I thought King of the Monsters was another reboot I mean that's that's where I was at is I was like okay so Kong School Island is like they're setting up the Godzilla verse and then Aaron was like no no Godzilla 2014 and I was like well, we're not watching that again because that was terrible that was like two and a half hours of my life that I'm never getting back and despite having Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen in it it was terrible like just very boring so I saw that one in theaters and I regret I it too. and I don't say that about very many movies <laughs> Yeah, I remember that one was me being very disappointed that Brian Cranston didn't have a ton of screen time because this was like right after Breaking Bad had ended. And, and he was all over the yeah. trailers. Mm-hmm. I would have thought for sure he'd have the lead role, but... It's like you get like 10 yeah. minutes of him. And I was just like, why? Mm-hmm. It's a shame. Yeah. What about you, Jack? Have you watched anything? Well... I will say with Dead to Me, I'm glad to hear your recommendation because my mom really likes that show, but we don't like a lot of the same shows, so it's nice to hear another person who has more similar tastes to me <laughs> give that a recommendation. It's definitely not my usual fare, but I just find the writing and acting to be really tight, mm -hmm. and so like, if you're in a place like mentally and emotionally where you're okay watching a show that is explicitly about grief... And that is going to make some jokes about grief. Mm -hmm. Then it's a good one to watch. Um, 
I wasn't sure that I was going to be in that place, but it was pretty good. Uh, it's a very intense show. So my sister and I usually only watch like one or two episodes a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going through it very fast, but it's been it's been good. And I've I predicted like one major twist that is revealed in the very first episode. But the rest of it's been pretty like, OK, you keep surprising me. And that is very refreshing in a show. So that's good to hear. I'm always glad for something refreshing. Yes. I know that it sounds like I'm dragging WandaVision a bit. In my last episode that I recorded, I said to friend of the pod fellow guest Lydia that, uh, you know, I support her eventually watching it, but I can't recommend it myself at this point. I tell people like, hey, I really enjoyed it from like a stylistic perspective. I think that it had a lot Mm -hmm. to say about a lot of really heavy themes and it didn't do a super job of keeping that through line like the last couple episodes fell a little Mm -hmm. bit flat to me mostly because they tried to pack all the punch into those despite like despite like looking back at that show and going okay so she's very obviously going through the stages of grief here you know like that's not enough of a through line. Yeah, and I will say that a couple of days ago, I actually, I had some uh, some stomach issues, which was not fun, and so I was just sitting on the couch yeah. for most of the day, and I did start re-watching it because I just wanted something that I didn't have to pay a ton of attention to, and right. it does work way better re-watching it with the entire show. I would imagine. Yeah. I'm actually explicitly, I did find like it to be a a good show. I know there are a lot of people who are really let down by it, but I did find it to be enjoyable. I'm actually just really bitter that they freaking wasted Catherine Hahn. Like you, we could have had her on the rest of the MCU and we are not going to have that now. And I'm very upset about it. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about all of that, which we can talk about that. We'll talk about it on our own time. (laughs) Yeah, um, for me, I watched Sound of Metal a few nights ago, which okay, was, how was that? It was very good. It was the movie starring Riz Ahmed that just was nominated for a few Oscars. Oh, He's a, a okay, metal drummer yeah. who was losing his hearing, and it's kind of just like thrown him for a loop in his life, and he's not sure how to adjust to it and everything. And it was really good, really good acting um awesome i think that uh interesting plot structure not what i would have expected out of the narrative but uh it was really good would definitely recommend it i will definitely add that to the list i love Riz ahmed so i do too would be a good watch yes i was happy to see him have a lead role because most of the things i've seen him in he's a supporting character and it's like you get a lead look at you you're doing so well Uh, did you watch venom i did yes okay i was gonna say i that was the one where i was like i know you were in star wars but i love you now (laughs) like was that movie (laughs) oh my gosh i kind of forgot that he was in venom because it's such a crazy movie that i love that movie (sighs) It's wild. I always tell people, I'm like, it's not good, but it's great. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm like, would you like to watch a movie where Tom Hardy is just sweaty the whole time? Like, here you go. Yeah, that movie makes some fascinating choices. Sure does. I can't wait to see the sequel. (laughs) I know. It's going to be great. (laughs) It is. 
Audrey, do you have anything that you would like to plug at this time? Just my usual. So um, I am the co-host of a podcast called Mordor She Wrote. That's Mordor underscore She Wrote on Twitter. We go through the works of J.R.R. Tolkien one chapter at a time. We're like six chapters into Fellowship of the Ring right now. Um, I'm overly familiar with Tolkien's works, and my friend Kayla has never read them before. So um, we're having a great time going through that. And then the other thing I'd like to plug is that I write games sometimes. And um, the main one that I've co-authored is called Spaceships and Starworms. You can find us at Starworms with a Y on Twitter. Um, we do a live stream on Twitch every other Wednesday and we've got all kinds of fun content and stuff. So if you're into tabletop games, check it out. Check it out, people. You can find the pod at your FN Filmcast on Twitter or email us at friendlyneighborhoodfilmcast at gmail.com. And you can check out my guest spot on Saturday morning obscurities as well, where I talk about the Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So good. So bad. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, folks. <laughs> <laughs>